Well, typically at this point, we would send our kids off to children's ministry. Uh, but once a month, usually we're, we're trying to keep it consistent. The last Sunday of the month, um, we just want to have a family worship Sunday. We'd have everybody in together um, to worship together. And, uh, and so kids, we want you here. It's on purpose so that you can be a part of this. Uh, kids, cover your ears for a second. Parents, we know kids make noise. It's not news to any of us. We're okay with that. Um, we, we, we welcome that, particularly this Sunday. Okay, kids, you can listen again. Um, some of you older kids, we've been doing this for a while now, having you guys draw a picture for me from the sermon. If you want to do that, that's awesome. But if you are old enough, hey, Ezra, can you grab these for me? I made some little fill-in-the-blanks for you to follow along if you want to do that. And uh, if you want one of those, put up your hand. So Marlena definitely wants one of those. Ezra wants one. Grown-ups, you can you could take one, too, if you want. Hey, Ezra, there's more over here. Grab one for James. All right, and that'll give you guys something to, to follow along with, and you can fill that out. I, I have to confess, I did this not that long ago, too. I forgot to bring candy, so I will have no reward for you at the end of the service. But if you bring it to me and show me, I will try and remember, and I will bring something next week. Did everybody get one that wants one? Mark, do you want one? You're good? All right. I forgot my Bible. That's going to be important. Boy, it has... Uh, well, 2015. Some of you were already uh, around here. We had been meeting together for a couple of weeks just as a, a small group worshiping together. And one of the things we did, just trying to get the word out, hey, we're, we're here, trying to introduce ourselves to the community. We just kind of went door to door with some invitations, talking with people, sharing the gospel, uh, encouraging people, come and see what God is, is doing. And uh, one of those doors opened, and uh, there was an older fellow who introduced himself as a, as a Christian. As we talked, he said he was a, a Christian. And, and then the next thing took me by surprise, almost angrily, he, he said, John, why are you planting another church in Olds? ready for that. Didn't expect that. Um, I wish I had just kind of confidently and concisely answered because not everybody in Olds is saved yet, um, but I wasn't that with it. He, he took me a little got off guard. I was, I was a little nervous, and, and so uh, we kind of bumbled and talked for a little while. Um, but I'd like, to, I'd like to answer that question a little more fully now. Um, why, why plant another church in Olds? And not just Olds. Why, why plant churches? Why plant churches at all? Um, Kids, if you're paying attention, that's the first one. I'm not going to give you hints all the way along. Why plant churches? We've been talking the last couple of months about what we call redemption culture. These are the, the six distinctive things that, that mark who we are. This is what we're about. Um, this is central to what, what we're doing here. Um, and uh, they're on these pillars up beside me. Um, fervent prayer, dependent and expectant, bold preaching, expository and applicational, passionate worship in spirit and in truth, purposeful disciple making, uh, intentional and in community, courageous evangelism in word and in deed, and finally strategic church planting together and around the world. That's what we're about. This week we come to this last uh, distinctive strategic church planting. So why plant churches? Why do we do this? And to answer that, I want to just go to a fairly normal passage of Scripture. It is not one of these 
great pinnacle scriptures that people memorize and go to all the time. Uh, it's just a run-of-the-mill text from Acts, one that you probably um, could have just read, read right past without noticing. Uh, and I think that's part of the power of it, uh, as it talks about church planting is just this ordinary part of church life through the book of Acts. So I invite you to turn with me to Acts chapter 9, verse 31. Uh, if you, like me, forgot your Bible this morning, um, you just go ahead and throw up your hand. One of our ushers will grab you one. Um, we want you to have God's Word in your lap that you can see. Um, the goal here uh, is preaching that is expositional, that, that it's not my ideas, um, but, it's, but it's God's Word just exposed, explained. And, uh, and so we want you to be able to see that and follow along with us. Um, so Acts chapter 9, if you turn there, parents, maybe help your kids turn there if they're following along. Uh, looking at uh, verse 31, Luke writes this, So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace. It was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It multiplied. First thing I think we see in this passage is church planting is the mission of the church. Church planting is is the mission of the church. We already looked at this as we talked about courageous evangelism. Matthew 28, 19, Jesus told his disciples what? Go and and make disciples. That's what we're here for. That's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Disciples make disciples. Disciples. I don't know if you saw the news this week. Um, There's a story that uh, I, I just kind of brushed by it the first time I read it. An American tourist died on a little island out, out, off of India. Um, but as the story developed, that headline began to change, and it, and it got my attention. Um, he wasn't a tourist. Uh, his name was John Allen Chow. You have that picture of him? There he is. It's a horrible picture, but there it is. Uh, he's a 26-year-old Christian from Washington State. And the island where he was killed, uh, called North Sentinel Island, and, and, and it's this remote island in the, in the Gulf of Bengal, and, and it is an untouched tribe on that island. They have been secluded. They've been cut off from all contact with the outside world. Uh, there was like one guy that landed there like 100 years ago uh, and spent some time on the island. Other than that, um, there was a ship that washed ashore, and they just they killed everybody. They just, they're hostile. Um, that's it. And so it's actually illegal, uh, the laws of, of India. So you can't come within three nautical miles of this island. We just want to leave them alone, protect them. And uh, John Allen Chow decided that's not okay. That, that's not the way it's going to be. Uh, and, uh, and so he packed up his stuff and headed to India. And he hired uh, a couple of fishermen to take him to this island or close to it. And, uh, and he jumped in a little dinghy and he paddled his way onto this island. And the first visit as he showed up, he got shot at with bows and arrows. He got a, an arrow stuck into his Bible. Uh, and so he backpedaled a little bit, head back to the boat. Uh, but he came back the next day and uh, landed on the island and tried to make contact again. And, and this time he didn't escape. They killed him. He died. Uh, why? What would motivate this this young man, the prime of his life, uh, to break the law, to, to go onto this island and face really almost certain death. Well, he wrote in his journal before he left, Lord, is this island Satan's last stronghold where none have heard or even had the chance to hear the name of Jesus? That's what compelled him. 
A little bit further down in his journal, sounding a lot like the Apostle Paul, he wrote, I think I could be more useful alive, but to you, God, I give the glory, whatever happens. He got it. He understood disciples make disciples. There's a need here. Uh, the, the, the news stories talk about this guy. He just he seemed to be obsessed with this island, and they don't, they don't quite get it. He, he must have been a little bit crazy. He must have had a couple of screws loose. Um, he was driven with this with this desire to make disciples. So that's, that's the passion, that's the desire we ought to have. And yet, um, that's making disciples. Disciples make disciples. I thought we were talking about church planting. Isn't that different? Isn't that something else? And the answer is no. No, it's not. Because our goal is not just to tell people about Jesus. It's to make disciples, right? And in Jesus' words, to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. That's a big job. That's, that's not just parachute in and drop a gospel tract and run away. There's, there's discipleship that needs to happen. We're not just looking for people who raise their hand. We're looking for people who are following Jesus, growing in Him, being baptized and built up. Churches do that. We need, we need to be planting Churches, yeah, we, we may go in and, and, and parachute into the darkness and share the gospel and start from scratch, but the end goal is, is church planting. So if we want to be faithful to the Great Commission. Uh, we need to look a little further down the road. We need to be planting churches. That's, that's right in the, the heart of the Great Commission. Uh, so it's kind of like asking an apple tree. Why, why, does it, why does it send out apples and seeds to, to grow more trees? Just, it's just part of its DNA. That's what it does. Uh, every cell in that tree has that information embedded in it to reproduce, to, to continue to spread. So as we gather collectively as the church, that should be just part of our, our DNA together, our culture, that we want to plant churches. We want to continue to reproduce. We want to make more disciples, and we want to make more churches. And that's what we see playing out through the book of Acts. Jesus tells his disciples in, in Acts chapter 1, right off the hop, verse 8, uh, go, you'll be my witnesses in, in all Judea and Samaria, Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And, and, and so they're to take this, this business of disciples making disciples, and they're, go, they're to go global with it. They're to take it to the ends of the earth. And, and then the book begins to just play out as if that was its table of contents. That, that's like the outline of the book of Acts right there. Um, the church grows and spreads. And, and so as the book progresses, um, it, it has these different phases, different chapters, not the numbered chapters, but themed chapters. And, and, and at each chapter break, we find these little summary statements. And, and 931 that we're looking at today is one of those summaries. It kind of wraps up what's happened and, and gives us this hint that we're transitioning to a new stage in the book. So the first one is, is Acts chapter 2, 43 to 47. It's a long one. Uh, it starts off, they devoted themselves, the apostles teaching, the breaking of bread, the prayers, and awe came upon every soul. And then it wraps up, verse 47, praising the Lord and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And so that kind of marks this transition, the end of the Pentecost story, and, and into the gospel beginning to move into Jerusalem. The next transition statement is Acts 6-7. The word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many priests had become obedient to the faith. 
So that transition uh, takes us into the, the persecution of Satan and the introduction of Satan. Stephen. Wow, that's a poor Stephen. First he gets martyred and then I misname him. Um, so Stephen's uh, persecution and, and martyrdom and, and the introduction of Saul. And it's the gospel then now moving into Samaria as the book continues. The next passage is the one we're looking at this morning, 931, wraps up the, the conversion of Saul. And, and now it's the gospel moving into uh, Judea and Samaria and even into Galilee. And, and after this verse, it, it transitions to Peter, taking the gospel to Cornelius. Cornelius is like the first true Gentile to receive the gospel. So you see these kind of concentric circles growing and these transition statements at the heart uh, of those um, passages. The next one is um, short and sweet. Uh, 1224, the word of God increased and multiplied. That's what it's about. That's what the book of Acts is. It's the church growing, church planting. It's, It's the word of God continuing to multiply, to go out. That's the mission of the church, to glorify God by making disciples who make disciples and planting churches who plant churches. There are a few more of these transition statements along the way, but the last one is Acts 28, 30 to 31. Speaking of of Paul in prison, it says, He lived there two whole years at his own expense, and he welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. It's a transition statement, just, just like the other ones. It's wrapping up Paul's time there in prison. Um, but what does it transition to? Somebody who actually turned there. Can you read the next verses for me? No? Why, what's going on? Why not? One of the kids know what's going on? Uh, even if you did have your Bible, it wouldn't help you. There's nothing there. That's the end of the book. It just stops. But Luke is very intentional. He stops with this transition statement, this cliffhanger. He's saying this is, this is the end of this book, but it's not the end of the story. This is merely a transition. The next section, the next phase, the next chapter in the book of Acts, it's us. We're writing it. We're living it out. Continuing this same mission of churches, planting churches, and the the church of Jesus Christ continuing to grow and spread out to the ends of the earth, awaiting Jesus' return. So how is Redemption Old part of this mission? How are we writing our chapter in this great story of the church continuing to be built up and to multiply? Well, for one, we're living it. Four years ago, um, I was sitting around a table of elders in Calgary at Redemption Church, Calgary North. And uh, sitting across the table from me is Quentin Whitford, a good friend of mine. Uh, today, he's pastoring Redemption Church, Calgary South, a new church this year that has been launched and started and is growing. And people are getting saved and gathering in small groups and praying for one another and worshiping together on Sunday mornings. To my right uh, sat Craig Ware. You, you know him. He's preached here a couple of times. Today he's uh, pastoring a church out in Victoria. It's not a church plant, but it was a church that was kind of on its last legs, had lost its sense of vision and direction and passion, and he's there restarting this work and, and bringing the gospel fresh. And here we are, this new church, a new conduit of God's grace here in Olds, gathered together, making disciples, growing, building one another up. We're, we're part of this church planting family. 
We're part of something so much bigger than us. And, and right here, we're on our own little knife edge of the church going out to the ends of the earth. It's a big deal. This, this, is, this is something on an eternal global scale that we get to be a part of in our own way. That's why we've partnered with the, um, the Great Commission Collective. It's a little confusing. We're, we, we do some stuff with the Gospel Coalition. That's different. This is the Great Commission Collective. Um, I if I could have made those names more different, we would have done that. Um, but the, the Great Commission Collective is this, this family of churches that we're tied in with. And uh, this afternoon, actually, I'm flying out to spend a week in Peoria, Illinois. I know you're jealous. Um, actually, I hope to spend the time there. I've just got an update this morning that my flight might be canceled because a winter storm is moving in. Uh, so pray that we get there. Um, but I'm going to be spending the week with, with some pastors from the GCC, the Great Commission Collective, um, training and, and learning how, to, how do we plant churches? How do we do this well? Churches that are healthy and growing and sustainable. And uh, I'll be spending the week with six other guys. Um, you have that next photo there, Grant? Um, there we go. These are some guys that I have just come to love over the last uh, couple of months here um, from, from right to, I guess, left to right. Um, ben Hurt, uh, he's planting a church in Elkhart, Indiana. Uh, ben Miller is in Quarryville, Pennsylvania. Uh, Darren Greenfield, he's in West Philadelphia. And, and if you're my age, um, yeah, he, he's planting a church that meets in the school where the opening scene of Fresh Prince was filmed. Sorry, a little trivia for you. I just thought that was the coolest thing in the world. Um, Jamie Woodyard uh, is going to Anderson, uh, Indiana. Uh, Jeremy Ritzma is in St. Cloud, uh, Minnesota. And Marvin McCoody is planting in North Toronto. Um, solid guys, great guys, guys that love God, love his word, are eager to see that church continue to progress. And so we're, we're going through this series of training over the next few months, growing together, being built up, challenging each other, praying for each other. Uh, and then while we're meeting next week, um, they're going to be videotaping those sessions and they'll be sending them off in a, about a month, it's about a month delayed by the time they get everything out there um, to three more guys. Um, Mark Patton is going to, or is in, he lives in Budapest, Hungary. He's planting a GCC church there. Uh, Batul Veraro is in Sibiu, Romania. Uh, and Cyprian Balta is in Dublin, Ireland. Um, the church is growing. It's continuing to spread. We're part of these. These are our brothers and sisters as we're networked together being a part of churches, planting churches. The way we work that as the GCC, just to kind of give you a little bit of a, a peek behind the curtain, um, each of these men, each of these planters has a lead church behind them who, is, who has been uh, mentoring them and, and training them, who has helped them kind of figure out where, where are you going to plant, how are we going to do this well, make sure we've got all the pieces in place. Um, the GCC tr uh, provides training for these pastors, and it is, it is top-notch stuff, I'm telling you. Um, it, it's, it is uh, fabulous guys running this training. Uh, and then the GCC sets up these, uh, these partnerships or cohorts of about five other churches that will come along and say, um, we're going to help pray for and financially support this plant. So the burden is not all on one church. We want to have a, a group of churches involved and, uh, and to support them. So we, we launched officially this year, um, and so next year we're going to have the privilege of being a part of one of these cohorts, of kind of tying in and saying, hey, uh, this is a church we want to help, we want to see this get off the ground. Uh, I've, I've got a friend that I've made the last little while, uh, Eric Rickard, he is in Montreal, which is just tough 
ground for church planting. He's been toiling there for a couple of years trying to build up a small group. Maybe we partner with him and say, can we pray for you? Can we help support you as you get this going? Um, who knows what the Lord will do uh, in his time. Um, but another thing I think is, is exciting. Kids, did you notice something in those pictures? Something I didn't even notice? Was there, was there just church planting pastors in those pictures? No, there's a swack of kids out there. What a cool thing. You guys could be praying for those kids. You could send them letters and say, hey, we love you guys. We're, we're praying for you. Encourage them. Help them know they're not alone. Um, what a neat opportunity for us to be really connected to, really part of what God is doing, um, not, not just here, but around the world as the church continues to grow and progress. And then what about our own backyard? What about being that lead church um, with, with the partnership of the GCC banded together? Um, why couldn't we say, hey, you know what? Why don't we plant a church in Red Deer? Why don't we plant a church in Edmonton? Let's, let's continue to push this out. It doesn't stop here. We want to see the gospel continue to go forward. We want to see it multiply and grow. That's, just, that's part of our DNA. That's who we are as a church. Now, the question could be asked, if that's true... Why don't all churches plant churches? If that's part of the DNA, then, then why does it seem to be so rare in some places at some times? Why, why isn't this all around us? Well, it is part of our DNA as the church, just like it's part of the DNA of an apple tree. But does every apple tree produce apples? In a sense, you could say yes, but actually no. There are some apple trees that don't produce apples. If it's not getting watered, if it's not in good soil, if it's not getting enough sunlight, if it's struggling and weak, it's, it's not going to be producing fruit. Healthy churches plant churches. And so that's what we want to be focusing on. Church planting is the mission of the church, and healthy churches plant churches. Look again at Acts 9.31. It says they were being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. What does that mean? Walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. If we want to be part of this mission, if we want to be part of the church planting churches and, and growing, a church that bears fruit, then we need to be a healthy church. A gardener uh, who wants his apple tree to produce fruit, he, he doesn't go out and, and tug on the leaves. You, you, you don't go out and try and staple baby fruit to the branches, right? You don't, you don't pour fertilizer onto the, the buds. You focus on the root. You want a healthy tree. It's a healthy tree that produces and bears fruit. So we look at, at Luke. That's what he's telling us. This church is multiplying because it's being built up. How's it being built up? Well, first, walking in the fear of the Lord. That's worship. Walking in the fear of the Lord. That's, that's biblical talk for, for living a life of worshipful obedience. We talked a couple weeks ago about how we are a, a worshiping church that is ascending church. Worship is primary. It's all about the glory of God being absolutely in awe and wonder and worshiping Him. And that's what drives our, our sending and our multiplying You want to be faithful as a church. You want to be faithful as, as an individual Christian. Boy, I'm not seeing fruit in my life like I would like to see it. Well, don't, don't focus on the fruit. Focus on the root. Are you, are you walking in a fear of the Lord? Are you deeply rooted in 
in Christ. Now, kids, when you hear fear of the Lord, I want you to think carefully about that. That can be a tricky sentence. Um, now, in our sin, as rebels against God, we should fear God. He is terrifying. Like, you do not want to be the enemy of the God who breathed out the sun, right? Like, he's a scary God. He is. He's big. He's, he's powerful. Hebrews 10.31 says it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. The wrath against God, or the wrath of God against sin is horrifying. It ought to leave us a little shaky. Um, being God's enemy would be a horrible, horrible thing. But at the same time, that same God who is so powerful loved us so much, he sent his own son to die on the cross, to take that penalty for our sin that we deserved, to take it in our place. Imagine that, that God's wrath is like the most horrible, terrifying thunderstorm you have ever seen. And, and times 10, lightning and thunder and hail. Do you, guys, do you guys get scared during thunderstorms sometimes? Would you like to be outside during a scary thunderstorm? No, I don't think so. Not this thunderstorm. Not with the lightning hitting all around. And That's scary. That, that's dangerous. You could die. But Jesus is like this perfect, safe, dry, warm house with, with cozy blankets on the couch and a fire in the fireplace. And now, when you're safe in this house, that thunderstorm changes, doesn't it? It's still a little scary. We don't, want to, we don't want to go out of the house, but if we're in the house, we're looking at that thunderstorm, now we get that fear that's cool. We like that. That thunder roars and it shakes the house and we go, wow, it's amazing. That's what the fear of the Lord should be like. Safe, safe in Christ and, and in awe and wonder of who God is. He is so powerful. Uh, he is so mighty. Um, we ought to approach him with this sense of awe and wonder and respect. When we pray, there, there should be a little bit of, wow, I, I get to come before God Almighty. I, I don't know, I, I hear more and more, kind of the, I'm getting old enough, I can talk about the, the younger generation now. It bothers me. Um, but, the, you know, to, to start your prayer, hey, God, no, no, hey, Josh, you know, uh, hey, Caleb, not hey, God. I'm not God's boy. I don't get to waltz in. Yeah, we come with confidence in the throne room of God, but we are still coming into the throne room of God Almighty. And we need to come with just a little bit of respect. Isaiah 66, 2, God says, This is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Um, that's, a, that's a good reminder for us. Um, you may think of God like a, like a big, strong man. And, and if you saw him on the street, if you didn't know him, or, or if you were his enemy, if you had stolen something from him, he would not be a good guy to run into. He would be a scary, scary man. But if he was your father, if he was your good friend who loved you, all of a sudden that terrifying strength is there to protect you. That strength is on your side. That's how we ought to fear the Lord. So we should be humble. We should tremble at God's word. And, and, and that should be... We want to walk in obedience. We want to, we want to stay with God, right? That, that big scary guy, you, you want to stay close to him. We need to stay in the house. We need to stay with, with Christ in that forgiveness that he offers. 
And then we get to marvel and wonder at this great God. At Nehemiah 1.11, I love this. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayers of your servants who sing, God, hear my prayer and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name. Isn't that, isn't that interesting? Who delight to fear your name. We should take joy in the fear of the Lord. That's what worship is. It's be amazed at God, to fear his name. That's a, a healthy church, a, a church that walks in that fear of the Lord, that lives that day by day. Uh, and that's what our first three distinctives are about. They're about worship. This is what helps us walk in the fear of the Lord. It's, it's fervent prayer and bold preaching and passionate worship. And then it says they were walking in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Now, we talked about this word comfort a couple weeks ago. I don't know if you remember that. Um, it's the right word. We just don't understand it right. Um, when we hear comfort, we think someone that like pats you on the head and says, you know, they're there, everything will be okay. Or, you know, you have a cold and they're going to, you know, wrap you in a blanket and bring you some tea. Um, that's what we think of when we think comfort. And, and you know what? There is a sense that the Holy Spirit comforts us when we're hurting, when we're weak, when we're broken. He absolutely brings that kind of comfort. But that's not the extent of it. That's not all he does. The idea of, of comfort, the word comfort, is a, it's a Latin word. It's a two-part word. And literally, it means with strength. He brings us strength. Now, when we're, when we're weak and broken, yeah, he, he gently brings this strength. But when we're needing obedience, when we're needing boldness, he, he brings us strength. This, that's walking in the comfort, the strength of the Holy Spirit. Remember Acts 1.8? He says, but you will receive what? Power. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. So walking in the strength of the Holy Spirit, what does that look like? What does that mean? It's more than just having strength. It's more than even just knowing that you have the strength, but it's actually using it, right? Actually living in that strength. If we were to leave here and climb up onto the top of this building, and, uh, and I was to say, I have the power to walk off this building into the air. That'd be pretty impressive. I could say that. I might even really believe that. And if I was really good, I could convince you to believe it too. But that's all very different from walking in that, isn't it? It's very different from me actually stepping off the roof and taking a stroll at 20 feet in the air. This church was walking in the fear of the Lord. They didn't just believe it together. They were doing it. They were living it out. They were being obedient. They were being faithful to be what, what Jesus had called them to be, witnesses. They were, they were proclaiming the name of Jesus. They were telling people, come and see what, what Christ has done. What an exciting church to be a part of. Receiving power for, for obedience and for holy living and for bold proclamation of the truth. That's, a, that's what it means to be a worshiping church that is ascending church. That they, they're walking in the fear of the Lord and the strength of the Holy Spirit. How are we doing at that? Just to keep with the, the tree metaphor, how's our root system, church? How's our health as a church? How's, how's your health as part of the church? Are you walking in the fear of the Lord? Does your day-by-day -day life scream out, I fear God? 
I'm walking in awe and wonder of who he is. That, that changes the way I talk. That changes the way I react when someone offends me. That, that changes who I am. Are you walking in the strength and the comfort of the Holy Spirit? Are you willing to open your mouth, trust God, and just, just step off the edge and say, okay, can I, can I tell you why I'm a Christian? Can I just explain the gospel to you, neighbor, coworker, friend? Boy, I see, I see you suffering here. I see this hardship in your life. Can I, can I help explain to you where that comes from? It's rooted in sin. It's rooted in the, the downfall of mankind. And God has made a way for us to escape not only the pain and suffering today, but, but eternity of pain and suffering that sin brings. We need to be walking in that strength of the Spirit. We have it. We just got to walk in it. He's got to be willing to step out. We need to be faithful in that, and we need to be living that kind of life, walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And here's the cool thing. As we're being faithful to be what God has called us to be, the church will multiply. It'll happen. There will be fruit. And Here's why. Because the mission of the church is the mission of Christ. Church planting uh, is the mission of the church, and healthy churches plant churches, and church planting is the mission of Christ. What lies behind uh, the church multiplying in, in Acts 9.31? What's driving this progress of the church that, that frames the whole book of Acts? Um, how do we know? That we aren't giving our lives for a lost cause. Like, I don't want to waste my time here, right? If this isn't going anywhere, if this whole church worldwide thing isn't going to work, then, like, take my name off the list. I don't, I don't want to be a part of it. The book of Acts, it's called the Acts of the Apostles. Some have argued maybe it should be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Um, I'll try again. I think Luke, the author of the book, tells us um, the very first verse. Acts 1.1, he says, In the first book, Theophilus, so Theophilus is the guy he's writing to, the first book he wrote was the Gospel of Luke. He says, In the first book, O Theophilus, I dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach. And actually, if you snoop around in the Greek there a little bit, um, there's a word that they don't know what to do with because it's awkward. Um, and, and, And it says, with all that Jesus began to do and to teach on one hand. And he never finishes it, right? You always have this like on one hand, and then on the other hand, he doesn't. He leaves it open. It's kind of like he does at the end of the book. He's saying this book is all about what Jesus continued to do and to teach. It's the act of Jesus. Yeah, he's, he's working through the apostles, and, and he's working through the Holy Spirit, but, but the main actor in the book of Acts is Jesus. He is building his church. He's doing exactly what he promised he would do. Uh, Matthew 16, 18, I love this. Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Done. Jesus said it. I will build my church. Nothing's going to stop it. And he is building his church. Revelation 5, 9, we we get this, this little window through to eternity. And we see the saints worshiping Jesus. Listen to this. It says, Worthy are you to take the scroll 
and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. He sent them to the ends of the earth. And when we get to sneak a peek at eternity, it succeeds. The mission finds its completion. Jesus will build his church. Nothing is going to stop it. People will be saved from every tribe and language and people and nation. Our mission as a church is the mission of Christ, and Christ does not fail. The church never shrinks. It only grows, right? Maybe our little expression of the church here shrinks and grows or succeeds or fails, but the church never shrinks. It always grows. But John, look at the state of the world today. Like, look at North America as this culture swings more and more intolerant toward Christianity. Look at the Muslim world that seems to be so pervasive that, that is actively persecuting and killing Christians. Aren't you being a little naive? I mean, isn't it a little much to say that, this, that the church will be built? How do we know that? There's some bleak trends in our world today. But if we look at Acts 9.31, that that first sentence, so the church, so all Judea and Samaria had peace and was being built up. It's not immediately obvious how that applies. We are not in a time of, well, we are in a time of peace if we're honest right now, but it seems like there's trouble brewing. But the question isn't, did they have peace? The question is, why did they have peace? What is he talking about there? This statement of peace here is, is a direct reference to Saul, the great persecutor of the church in the chapter before this. Uh, Acts chapter 8 opens much differently than Acts chapter 9 closes. Um, 8 uh, verses 1 to 3, speaking of the, the execution of Stephen, it says, And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church. And entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. In Acts 8, the church did not have peace. They had anything but the church was being attacked. It was being opposed. Saul was a horrifying threat to Christianity. The church wasn't that big. And he's going in. Imagine if that happened here. All of a sudden, those doors blow open and in come some government officials with a bunch of police officers. You're out of here. Moms and dads are getting hauled away to prison. Kids are being taken to government-approved homes for re-education. Myself and the elders, we're going to be made an example of. They're going to take us out and execute us. That's what we're talking about. That's what's happening in Acts 8. That's what the church looked like. How would we feel then? Would we be able to say confidently, Jesus Christ will build his church? We begin to wonder, maybe maybe the gates of hell are standing against us. But in the face of that persecution of Saul, what did God do? Saul was traveling to Damascus. He was on a mission. He knew there were a bunch of Christians there. He had legal papers to go in and arrest them. And Christ confronts him. And he just, 
He doesn't attack him. He shows him his glory to the point that it blinds Saul and knocks him to the ground. And Saul, this great persecutor of the church, the greatest threat the church had ever known, becomes a Christian. Jesus turns him around. He says, oh no, you're going the other way now. You're on my team now. How cool is that? Can you imagine playing this this soccer game and there's one player on the other team that is just killing you? Every time he gets the ball, he scores. And and you just get to say, okay, now you're on our side. Boom. New game. Everything's changed. Jesus is over it all. He has this completely in his hand. It was he who sovereignly, miraculously brought about this absolutely unexpected peace into the middle of this dark, dark time. Christ has control over it all, and we we ought to know that. We ought to be comfortable in that truth. Proverbs 21.1 reminds us the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wills. All right, Justin Trudeau thinks he's making decisions for this country, and God says, you you don't make a single decision that I'm not carefully uh, superintending. God has all the power. All of the the rulers of this world are, are puppets in his hand. Isaiah 45, 6. The people may know from the rising of the sun and from the west, there is none beside me. I am the Lord and there is no other. God says, I'm God. There's nobody on my level. I rule and there's no one beside me. And then he goes on to say, listen, I form the light and create the darkness. I make well and I bring calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. God is over all of it. He's over all of it. And I love this, Acts 9.31, we see the church has peace and it's getting built up and it's growing. But what happened under persecution? What happened in the darkness when they had no peace? Right after those verses that we read, um, the beginning of Acts chapter 8, moms and dads are being arrested and taken out and Saul is ravaging the church. And then verse 4 says, and those who were scattered went about preaching the word. God used that. To send, the, to send the disciples out. Go to, to all the neighboring towns. Run away and take the gospel with you. It's like kicking a fire into grass. And, and the coals just spread everywhere. You've only made it worse. The church just continues to spread and grow. And, and God is carefully over all of it. He's building his church. He will build his church. We have a hope in that, absolute confidence. Confidence that should free us up to give our lives without reservation. I don't need to worry about God's check bouncing. I can go in for this. I can bank my life on this. All these news articles puzzling about John Allen Chow. And they're left with this note of uncertainty. What was he thinking? What was he doing? And he just got killed. Didn't he know that would happen? Is this just just foolishness? What a waste of a life. Did he give his life for absolutely nothing? And the world says it looks like it. Yeah, like he's dead. Nothing happened. But we know the answer in eternity will be a clear and resounding no. No, he did not give his life for nothing. He gave his life for the unstoppable cause of the glory of God in the church of Jesus Christ. His death will not be forgotten. His death will not be in vain. It will ring out to the glory of God into eternity. 
Because the mission of the church is the mission of Christ. What greater confidence could we have than to have Christ on our team, to be on his team? What more solid assurance of eternal victory? Because we know the one that we're following, he's been to death and back, right? He won. He beat it. He's already defeated the greatest thing that terrifies us. And he stands in victory over sin and death. Resurrected from the grave. We want to close this morning celebrating the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ.